Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to come together in your house to worship you, and before that, to take some time to uh, study what the Scriptures say about such important matters. And Lord, we, we do understand that we were born in sin and cannot free ourselves, Lord, that we continued uh, in that bondage willingly, but Lord, uh, miserably. And we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to come and break the chains of sin and death and, and to bear the, the righteous wrath that you have against sin uh, so that we could stand before you spotless. And Lord, we're so thankful for that. We pray that we would keep that uh, wonderful hope that we have in the back of our minds as we talk about original sin today. In your holy name we pray. Amen. All right, you should have two handouts, which Aaron thinks are wholly inappropriate because she's a perv. No, I'm approved. That's why. No, you wouldn't have even noticed. If you were approved, you'd have been like, oh, well, uh, classical art. Eve has some muscle on her. Eve looks like a bodybuilder there. And if I were Adam, I would be like, uh... That's why he ate the fruit. He looks very feeble compared to her here. He's like, uh... If I don't eat the fruit, I don't know what she'll do to me. Oh, man. Okay, so we are on question... Did I skip a question? No, we're on 15, right? Well, we're on 15 today. That's what I printed out, and that's what we're talking about. We're on 15. Yeah, we did 14. Okay. Um, So 15 says, Did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression? And the answer is, The covenant being made with Adam... Not only for himself, but for his posterity, all mankind descending from him by ordinary generation sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. And there's two uh, texts given here that we'll look at in a minute. You may want to look up either that first one, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, or Romans 5, 12, because I will need somebody to read them. Um, let's talk about Genesis 2. And you may want to write down also Genesis 2.17, which in a different version I have of uh, the catechism is one of the, is one of the proof texts. Uh, it says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Did that happen? Like that day? Because they didn't eat it that day. Well, I mean the day that they did eat it. They did die. They died, died from um, having to leave the um, perfect place into the imperfect place. So they had to leave the garden, but did they die? Not immediately. Their, their spirit, their, um, they, yeah, they died from having um, God um, right there with them, with them. Okay, so you're saying they kind of metaphorically died. Or spiritually died. I think they had perfect union of their soul and their body, and then there was a split. Yeah. I think that may be Gnosticism, but I feel where you're going. They had perfect union with God's will. They had perfect. Yeah. So yeah, you know, you're you're right. There. I mean, there's certainly a a fracturing of. The relationship, even within the person, of of mind, body, and soul. You know, I, I, I'm I'm being overly. They're, they're, being, they're afraid about what they look like. They're. Yeah, yeah, and that's probably what's prompting Steve's yeah. comments. Or we could just ask him, and I don't have to stand up here and guess. Um, or 
Is it possible that we have, and this would be ironic, a non-literal use of the word yom, meaning day, so soon after those six days, which are either literal or not? Well, that's possible, yeah. In the day that you do this, you will die, meaning uh, kind of in the period. Like there, it will break everything into that wonderful time before and then that death time after, when you're surrounded by death and on your way to dying yourself. Well, would that possibly be the point at which they start aging, you know, they start where they're death. starting on this road? Right. Like we're all dying in one sense, right? Because when entropy, is that entropy? Entropy. entropy. Yeah, the levels of, the second law of thermodynamics, the levels of kind of chaos and disorder are always rising. That couldn't have been the case in the garden, although certain living things, I guess, sort of count on that, but... Uh, Saying because what I was thinking of is like our resurrected bodies, mm-hmm. like that's what they had that was mm-hmm. that sort of life, and then that life died, and then now they have earth and rise and meet in that age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so the effects of sick, uh, sin, the curse, includes, and we could read the whole curse, but I mean, includes not only the pain and and stress that comes with working not work work was already part of the world and work work will always be part of the new earth i mean work work if you're not working what are you doing as a person we, we have callings and we want to fulfill them uh and i don't mean that you have to have a, a nine to five in eternity or now or anything i mean we, we we do carry out vocations work you know with our hands with our minds we we want to produce things and that sort of thing uh but it becomes painful and stressful and the sweat of the brow and the pain in childbirth. Like the, there was going to be childbirth anyway, but it would have been much nicer. Uh, and uh, there's going to be this split of the oneness between husband and wife, right? She, you know, your desire will be to kind of rule over him, but he'll rule over you. There's going to be this clashing back and forth. Um, at, at least that's not still going today. Um, <laughs> Oh, wait, I just remembered Twitter uh, and everything else. So, I mean, these things are ripples in the pond. Every, every little effect of the fall right off the bat, the kind of turning it off by three degrees goes, you know, the, every problem in the world, we could say, you could eventually source it back to this, if we believe this is truly something that happened. Uh, and I think we really kind of have to, uh, or the gospel loses its meaning and becomes a bizarre taking seriously of some kind of poetic uh, description of, of our propensity to selfishness or something. What about this little phrase, by ordinary generation? Why do you think that's in there? Um, because that would not include Christ. Bing pot, Yes. I think that that's exactly why, because otherwise, when you get to Christ, you go, wait a minute, we already had an earlier question that said, everybody who is a descendant of Adam, which Luke 3 uh, makes quite clear that Jesus is, uh, is like tainted by sin and and now guilty, uh, even before he's able to commit any personal sins. And there are, of course, theological reasons that we'll see why Jesus doesn't inherit that, that guilt and that sin nature uh, and isn't 
under the curse, although he lives in the world that is under the curse of sin. Uh, but yeah, th- that's kind of leaving some space for later on when we get to questions about Christ and his nature. So by ordinary generation, and uh, that would be implied, for example, when Jesus says of John the Baptist, there's none greater born of woman than him. You can imply that he means there's none greater born of woman by ordinary generation than him. Jesus is certainly not saying he's greater than me because John has already affirmed with his whole ministry, no, Jesus is greater than me. I'm not even fit to untie his shoes. Uh, he, he's got to increase. I got to start fading to the background. So this by ordinary generation, I don't think is some kind of a sneaky trick or something. It's just basic Christian doctrine uh, that we might say, I've heard it put this way, that the uh, sin curse and the sin guilt is passed down, and this is going to be unpopular, and I don't know what certain strands of theology will do with this these days, but passed down by the Father uh, because of the way that, that even property and things, everything was passed down through the Father. Jesus' Father being God the Father directly, there's no uh, sin curse, and Again, I don't know what you do with that if you start uh, tinkering with the theology to the point of saying there can't be any valid patriarchy in the Old Testament, uh, then we kind of lose some of these things, and, and I'm, not, I'm not sure. Interestingly, if your mother's Jewish, you're Jewish these days, um, so there's certainly a great value, identity, and such things on who your mother is, uh, but in passing down these generational things, uh, the, the father is the case, and we're going to talk about how Adam then being the kind of federal head, the, the father figure of, of uh, all mankind, is, is uh, key to this. Uh, who's got 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 22? Uh, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So we have a analogy here. A is to B as C is to D type thing. Do they still put those on standardized tests? I feel like that might be a relic of a while ago. But as, and the, the Greek word there, kathos, is often translated just as. I mean, it really emphasizes um, this is a, a connection uh, as through one man, Adam, what happened? All died. That's all died. Yeah, all died. All died. So through, we've had one Adam. What about a second Adam? Christ. No one else is a Lord of the Rings dork in here. If Alex was here today, that would have gotten a big chuckle. Um, through a, one man, Christ, all made alive. This will become really key when people start wanting to deny the doctrine of original sin. I would like to read a huge long chunk to give the context to Romans 5.12, which is, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, 
And so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. In fact, that'll be enough. That'll be enough context. So now we have, let's, let's add another layer here to the analogy. So what does this one say? As anybody flipped over there to Romans 5? The sin came into the world through one man and death sin. Okay, we'll say through, in fact, let me erase this. We'll use the same. Through one man, Adam. This one gives us a little more detail. Sin came into the world through sin death came which we were talking last week about that passage in James desire gives birth to sin sin which is full grown gives birth to death so on desire's fridge are pictures of death her grandkids um, and then it spreads what's it say exactly um and so death spread to all men because of... Boom. So it gets us the same place, but it gives you more detail. Through one man, sin came into the world, and with it, death. Death spreads throughout the world, and as a result, all died. And this one also says, I mean, it gives you a little more information, because all sin. Like, so it's not just saying, like, these people didn't sin themselves. Right. Like, all they have is original. Yeah, so we will put all sin here. Okay, and then what's the second half? Um, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. So we have sin going back pre-law. It's not that once the rules were chiseled into rock, um, you know, there's, there's no guilt for any sin other than the specific don't eat from this tree, and that sort of thing. No, there, there was, um, before sin, there was, or before the law, there was sin, and it ruled uh, in, in a more tyrannical way before the law was given. So even though the giving of the law, according to Paul, increases transgression to a, a particular end, showing us our need for a Savior, it doesn't give sin more leeway. Sin is already reigning in the hearts of men because through one man we've all experienced sin and death it's spread through the whole world and that's uh pretty bleak <laughs> except for that in both of these passages we have the other half of the equation just as sin and death came through one so forgiveness and life came through one and that's where all of our hope is uh, now, I, I want to uh, point out, too, uh, in verse 12 here, when you, when you get into the Greek and start looking at different translations, in yours it may say, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death uh, through sin, and, uh, and so death spread to all men, probably a clearer, better translation would be, and in this way, death spread to all men. And I think that's very important as far as establishing this as a, a text that teaches this doctrine. But uh, let me ask you this. What, what do you think when it comes to this question? Do we sin, or is, is anyone, is a person a sinner because they sin, or is a person sinning because they're a sinner? 
And don't think you're clever and say yes. Come down on a side. Is a person a sinner because he sins, or does he sin because he's a sinner? He sins because he's a sinner. Okay. Because everybody is born that way. Although, when you become a believer, you're a saint, but you still sin. Okay. So you're not a sinner. I think I am. <laughs> well, there's the, I mean, we all think you are too, Sean, but um, there's, there's the battle cry of the Reformation. One of the second tier ones, similar to Eustace at Precator, which is uh, simultaneously uh, sinful and justified, kind of like simultaneously sin, uh, sinner and saint right now, kind of at war in me. And we had talked about how uh, free will and that wonderful quote from Godfrey, the, the free will was, uh, free uh, in innocence to good in uh, the fall to good and evil to lesser degrees uh, and then ultimately in glory uh, you know, only the good again. So anybody here want to come down hard on the side of no, unless someone actually sins, they can't be called a sinner. It would, yeah. You'd have to. You're outing yourself as a heretic at this point. But. It doesn't seem a little unfair. It kind of does to me. Like that guy's a sinner. Well, what sins has he committed? Well, I'm saying he's gonna sin because he's a sinner. That sounds like every like waspy jerkwad in like an '80s movie. Like you're from the wrong side of the tracks. So or no, Principal Strickland, right? No McFly has ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. You're going to fail. Well, wait a minute. Why? Because of who your father is. And this is kind of like, well, yeah, you're going to fall. You're going to fail. Why? Because of who your father is. Now, by the time we can even ask the question or think about it, we've all sinned a bajillion times anyway. So it's a moot point and it's just an academic exercise. And when you think of kids, I mean, the second you have the ability to sit to like give me that and they don't give you that or, you know, they're angry. So they throw something at you. I mean, until they have the physical ability, they can't do it, but it doesn't mean they don't want to, you know? Yeah, yeah, right. And I think the reason babies cry, sometimes they're hungry, sometimes they're like, I want to sin, and I don't have like the core strength to get up and do it. And it's so easy to look at a baby and say, oh my goodness, so innocent, so perfect. Um, and certainly there is biblical teaching about uh, being old enough to uh, choose the right and reject the wrong and... and and, and, you know, that's getting out in the weeds a little bit. We may, we may talk about that in a, a later question. But ultimately, you're right. Yeah, there, there is as soon as, as a human is able to kind of flex those sin muscles, they do. Why 100% of the time? Because they were already a sinner. Because as, as David said, I was conceived in sin. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, we don't, that doesn't mean that, that Jesse and David's mom... Uh, you know, we're, we're not married and they were shacking up and he was uh, conceived in that sense. No, it means that he was born sinful. And that's important uh, for, for all of this stuff. So original sin, it, it ties closely together with the idea of total depravity. Uh, we talked about how that doesn't mean everyone's as bad as they can be. Rather, it means that sin, as it has gone out into the world, has touched every area of the world, but it has touched every area of ourselves. 
So, has touched your desires, has touched and, and, and uh, stained your, your thoughts, your words, your actions, your relationships, the way that you carry out your gifts, your godlike capacities that you have because you're made in the image of God, the kinds of things that even, you know, chimpanzees can't do. We can do them and the way that we want to carry them out. And all of this stuff has been touched by sin. There's no part of us and, and really no part of creation that is completely pristine, untouched. Jesus came to redeem all of it because all of it needed redeemed. It's easy to think about people who are not believers and say, well, hold on, that person seems incredibly selfless. But if you had front row seats inside their head, you'd probably see struggles that you don't see from the outside, uh, or you certainly would. What helped me with the whole not fair feeling, like, well, that's not fair. Why should we start out <laughs> sinful when I didn't even do anything, is the, um, the not fairness of the second part of that. Right, yeah, but don't get ahead of us. Oh, um, so let me read you a little uh, really old-timey illustration. When Melanchthon, which is uh, Luther's right-hand man, when Melanchthon was converted, he thought it impossible for his hearers to withstand the evidence of the truth in his ministry. But after preaching a while, he complained that old Adam was too hard for young Melanchthon. That old Adam is in each of us. And right now, Satan is bound and incapable of deceiving the nations when it comes to the gospel. Uh, the gospel is going out to the ends of the earth, but in each person is that last line of defense, which is Adam in us, the first Adam, the one who brings sin. And that, that is where we push back and say, I don't want to be saved. I don't want to be born again. I don't want, and and <clears throat> when we're bound in the chain of uh, wickedness and, and uh, concupiscence, uh, to put it <clears throat> in the uh, kind of reformed terms, we see that uh, there's something inside. It doesn't have to be the devil from outside holding back the gospel. There's something inside that, that keeps people lodged firmly in their sins. So was Adam born sinful? No. He just... Screwed up. <laughs> yeah, the, that's the fall. That's the story of the fall in, in Genesis 3. I just wondered if that was... Because this whole thing about the unfairness, you know, well, if I would have been there, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah, right. I would have done it quicker. <laughs> but, but maybe he couldn't help it because, I don't know, because he had a little bit of that sinful nature too. Yeah, no. That, that, sound doctrine tells us that there is nothing inherent in the situation in the garden, or in Adam and Eve that meant this thing had to fall apart. God didn't create them with a flaw already in them, rather with free will. And of course, it gets back again to the issue we've already kind of ad, ho ad hominem, ad uh, nauseum gone through, which is, uh, is God the author of evil then? Um, but certainly, God created Adam and Eve with no flaw that meant they had to sin. And so, yeah, sin enters the picture, enters mankind uh, at, at the fall in, in Genesis 3. They're created in God's image. Then they couldn't have that flaw. Yeah, we're created in God's image. And, and no, I do. know, but, but they were before the fall. So, yeah, I understand what you're saying, that that, that act of 
disobedience caused things to fracture and, and become different? Right. Yeah, I mean, and have, having worked in computers, and both of you, like, like a little bit of problem in code, right? Can go, and you, and you see all of a sudden, I mean, you don't even need it to be like a self-replicating virus, just the, the ripple effect of, okay, that didn't work, that didn't work, that didn't work, and, it go, and, and that's, that's the fall, that's, that's sin. Um, it's very popular these days to deny original sin, uh, and it has never been until quite recently even an option, <laughs> and I think because the church is getting more and more humanist, more and more lifting up uh, the individual saying, oh, the only reason Jesus even came and died was to tell you how beautiful your soul is, not, not because you were a wretched sinner, uh, but because you were super special to him. Uh, and going back, if you know anything about the development of these kind of later movements, uh, particularly on American soil, there's a group called the Campbellites, the Restorationist Movement. Uh, and that would be the tradition that's now like the Church of Christ, uh, Disciples of Christ, uh, the Christian Church. Um, I don't know how you get to call your denomination the Christian Church, but there they are. Um, they, they'll deny it. Uh, in fact, my boss, when I was in seminary, I worked for Family Christian Store, and he was, uh, he, he was an ordained minister in that tradition. And we had lots of long discussions. And not by my, well, maybe I had a little hand in it, but not, I don't think by my arguing him into anything, but by the time I left there, I was there for seven, eight years, uh, he had come to the conclusion that they were wrong, that Scripture clearly and overtly describes uh, this very effect. There are different levels, kind of, of original sin that people will accept, but you have to see that it wasn't just Adam suffering for Adam's sin and Eve suffering for Eve's sin, but that at that point, everything changed, uh, and we are guilty of his sin. Um, get out your handouts a minute. Yeah, we have time for this. And again, sorry for... Uh, see, I didn't, even, I didn't even notice that there were... Uh, there was some, some top nudity here because I thought that was a dude. <laughs> Eva's really been working that, uh, that bench press. Um, I'm going to read both of these because they're both short. And they're from about 10 years ago. And this is just the last time that there was uh, a group that was saying, hey, we just want to tell you that your idea of original sin is is a Western idea, foreign to scripture that, you know, grumpy guys with beards and robes came up with, and you don't need it to have Christianity, and doesn't it feel better to hear you're good, uh, not you're a wretch, you need to be saved. Um, I remember one time uh, we were at Promise Keepers, uh, and my least favorite speaker who came like every year for four or five years, uh, he, <laughs> he put up on the screen... This thing about uh, hearts being deceitful above all and desperately wicked. Tried to explain it away with the magic word context. Uh, no, that's just for people living a long time ago, not now. And then he said, repeat after me, my heart is good. And had everyone in the arena say, my heart is good. And everyone was like, oh, wow. And I thought, wow, that's really dangerous. And you just did great violence to the gospel. And then after that... Uh, Oh, good grief. Who was the coach who rode the motorcycle up onto the platform? Uh, White? Joe White? Is that his name? Came up and gave a great gospel presentation. I remember thinking, 
Yeah, but everyone's just been conditioned to think, why do I need that? My heart's already good. Um, so yeah, it, it, it comes and goes, and there's always been uh, outliers who, who want to either way downplay or deny. But, but in these big waves, the most recent one was what was called the emergent church, which has since fractured. It hasn't gone away. It's just kind of like how the USSR turned into all these Soviet republics. It's broken apart. This, these people are still around and still have a following, uh, so it's still worth talking about. Uh, but this is Tony Jones, um, and he was uh, a major leader along with Doug Padgett in this group. Uh, and this is what he wrote at the beginning of a series on original sin. When I was growing up in a, I'm sorry, original sin colon, a depraved idea. When I was growing up, did you see what he did there? In a moderate centrist church, somewhere between mainline Christianity and evangelicalism, original sin was a given. I first learned about it in youth group. And we regularly talked about it. Actually, if you don't believe in it, just spend some time with a youth group. Uh, actually, it's more accurate to say that we talked about a life with Christ and the notion of original sin was in the background. It was assumed, and I cannot remember that it was ever debated. In other words, I assumed that the doctrine of original sin was a biblical notion and that all Christians accepted it as gospel truth. Of course, neither is true. Of course, neither is true. Of course, that is the most powerful thing you put in here. <laughs> Clearly. In college, original sin was also assumed by the campus crusaders and navigators who ministered to me, as well as in the little Bible church that I attended. In fact, here's a telling section from that church's current webpage on doctrine. Man, anthropology. Man was created in the image of God to enjoy friendship with Him. Man sinned and his fellowship with God was broken, Genesis 3. Man is now deceitful and desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9. He has the capacity for all sin and lives, in his, uh, lives his life independent of his creator. In his natural rebellious state, his destiny is to spend eternity totally separated from God in the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 8, Revelation 20, 11 through 15. But while in college, probably the sophomore year, I'm guessing, I also took <laughs> at class on the theology of Augustine from an eccentric professor, Charles Stinson, no relation to Barney. And therein I learned that the great father of Western theology was the author of the doctrine of original sin. Of course, Augustine was not making it up ex novo, but was taking as his inspiration the account of creation in Genesis 3 and certain Pauline texts. Yeah, that's called hermeneutics. In seminary, I learned that John Thompson... I'm sorry, I learned from John Thompson that John Calvin and his theological heirs reified the notion of original sin and that it hadn't played much of a role in medieval and scholastic theology because we always want to look to the Dark Ages for what's sound doctrine. And I guess re-deified? I don't know. <laughs> and sometime later, I discovered that whole branches of the Christian family tree, most notably the Orthodox Church, has never embraced original sin. I have come to reject the notion of original sin. I consider it neither biblically, philosophically, nor scientifically tenable. And I'm going to spend this week blogging about why I've rejected it. I look forward to hearing your thoughts. No, you don't. So when he talks about the Orthodox Church, are you all aware of what he's referring to? Uh, no, not really. They, they may call themselves Catholic in some sense, but not what we think of as Roman Catholic. So you have essentially one church for the first thousand years. There are groups that are heretical and are 
put out of the church and sometimes like snuffed out of existence because sin. Um, but for the most part, all the bishops are in communion with each other, east and west. Uh, and so you have, even as you have this growing bifurcation of Christianity, the Pope of Rome being the vicar of Christ on earth for those Western Christians in their minds, and then the, the patriarch of Constantinople being the first among equals of the Eastern bishops. So you have this kind of, and they have different ways of talking about theology. You have Latin, and then you have Greek. Uh, and I don't just mean different languages, but those kind of also sum up the difference, uh, different approaches. In uh, 1054, those two leaders actually excommunicate each other. You're out. No, you're out. It's sort of like when Sam and Diane were arguing over who broke up with who on Cheers. Remember that? Uh, and so you have the Great Schism. And so to this day, those churches, those two halves of the, the church are, are separate. They're, they're not in communion with one another. Vatican II sort of made some halfway connections between them again, but, but they have never really come back together. So you have Roman Catholic Christianity... That's the Western variety, which we are very familiar with, right? Probably more than one person here grew up Roman Catholic. That's uh, the Mass, that's the Catechism, the CCD, you know, the, the, the Baltimore Catechism, all, all the stuff that, that you think of when you think Catholic. We don't have, unless you grew up in a particular ethnic neighborhood, probably uh, great familiarity with the Orthodox, but there are many, 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 many of them. If you're in Greece, if you're in Russia, if you're in Serbia, if you're in... Uh, just about anywhere, right? Remember when uh, Costanza almost became Latvian Orthodox? Um, you, we have this whole tradition called Eastern Orthodoxy, and because it's kind of mysterious, it's a little mystical, and it's heretofore rather unknown, uh, kind of hipsters and beatniks uh, within the church are always kind of appealing to it. I, we went and visited the Holy Trinity Greek Orthodox Church on Saginaw when we had our class yeah, that was the Eastern. Yeah, when, when, you, when you walked in in the mosaic, enormous, gorgeous, gorgeous place. Some of the most friendly people I've met have been Eastern Orthodox when you go into their worship because you don't know what you're doing and they always come up and help you. Uh, and they fed us Greek food when we were there and everything. Um, one, wonderful Christian people. And I don't think they deserve to be like the uh, kind of token, like, oh, no, no, uh, my heresy is shared by them because it's generally just a misunderstanding. It's hard to understand what they're teaching uh, about theosis. It's hard to understand what they're teaching um, when it's rooted in a different approach to even like facts and, and religion in general. So um, my mentor from seminary, Dr. Michael Whitmer, uh, wrote a little response to this. This was back when everyone was blogging all the time. And so he was like, oh, you blogged that? I'll blog this uh, like the next day. Uh, Original sin and the Eastern Church. Uh, by, by the way, um, if you're keeping track, uh, Whitmer with his uh, PhD uh, knows an awful lot more than Tony Jones about church history, theology, and all other things in that area. Like Pelagius in the 4th century, emergent leaders Doug Paget and his best friend Tony Jones deny the doctrine of original sin. Now let me stop there. Do you know who Pelagius is? Pelagius is one of the first heretics uh, to be condemned for a soteriological heresy. 
No, that was Arius. That was a Christological heresy. So that was that, that Jesus wasn't truly God, but the highest created being. This was the idea that our wills were so very free that we, apart from Christ, could choose to follow God, apart from being born again, being regenerate. Uh, he was a contemporary of Augustine. So he, he's uh, definitely a damnable heretic, but I don't even have to point out that he's damnable because he was actually damned and condemned uh, at two councils. So the church has done that work uh, in advance. Uh, and just as Pelagius and his followers found refuge in the East, so Paget and Jones say that their view, while heretical to Western Christians, is acceptable in the Eastern Orthodox Church. This is an interesting claim and deserves a historical and theological response. One, historically, it is true that Pelagius was not condemned in the East, but that was because the slippery Pelagius denied his views before the Jerusalem Council and the Synod of Diospolis. There he anathematized some of the statements of his own student, Calestius, who had learned those ideas from Pelagius himself. Other reasons for Pelagius's acquittal were the inability of his accusers to speak Greek and the desire of the assembled bishops to be reassured of his orthodoxy. When Augustine learned that Pelagius had been let off the hook, he replied that, quote, it was not the heresy that was acquitted, but the man who denied the heresy. Two, theologically, Timothy Ware, an important bishop in the Greek Orthodox Church, he is a titular metropolitan bishop of the Greek Orthodox Ecumenical Patriarchate, wrote in his book, The Orthodox Church, by the way, a spectacular book, if you're interested in learning about this kind of stuff, real succinct and really good, um, wrote that the Orthodox believe, quote, the consequences of Adam's disobedience extend to all of his descendants. Man's will is weakened and enfeebled by what the Greeks call desire and the Latins concupiscence. We are all subject to these, the spiritual effects of original sin. Certainly, as a result of the fall, man's mind became so darkened and his willpower was so impaired that he could no longer hope to attain to the likeness of God. That from the Eastern Church, that people denying original sin want to appeal to. And then he writes, me, colon. <laughs> well, it's true that the Eastern Church has a less severe view of original sin than is found in Augustine and the West. That is to say, the West thinks that original sin consists of both corruption and guilt, Well, where only includes the former, the corruption. Yet it is apparent that the Eastern Church does believe that everyone is born corrupted because of Adam's sin. Here is the point. Those who deny original sin cannot sustain their claim that their view was or is acceptable to the Eastern Church. Their antecedents include Pelagius, the rationalistic Socinians of the 17th century, and modern liberals such as Albert, Albert Rischel. None of these adhere to the historic Orthodox faith. What are the implications for Jones and Paget? The, the answer is that they also do not adhere to the Orthodox Christian faith. Um, lowercase o. So the idea that we can take or leave this and still have the gospel has been proven wrong at every turn. And you will often hear new and extra fluffy ways of presenting the gospel that gloss over this. That your heart is in direct defiance to God and needs to be made new. That you need that old heart of stone taken out and a new heart of flesh put in. That you, you need to be born again. And, and this, I think, is something that kind of the, the old-timey uh, preaching of 
just old school Baptists when I mean did well, just really saying you have sinned, even like the ABC thing, right? You know, admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus, confess that He is Lord, and you will be saved. Um, this is the same sort of thing you'd hear in a, from a Methodist circuit rider or in a, uh, even in a, in a tent revival, in a revivalistic setting uh, where man's decision is, is lifted up too highly. Even in that moment, we're going to emphasize that the, uh, the will has been enfeebled and weakened. So what, what if somebody's denying original sin, but they still... Is this just the beginning of something where you're denying you need Christ's sacrifice at all? Like, what is the impetus behind saying, no, this isn't real? If you still believe that you need Christ's blood to atone for your sins, like, what's the point of arguing about, like, no, it's not real? I think the point is, uh, first of all, the, what you had brought up, the unfairness idea uh, to charge one person with another person's sin would make God unjust. And, of course, the answer to that, as you mentioned, is if to charge one person with another person's sin is unjust and God can't do it, then we are all sunk. Because our only hope is that God charged one person, Christ, with another person or a lot of people's sins and punished him for those sins. So it's a sense of human fairness maybe, but, but misplaced. And it does matter because, I mean, for example, I saw, I was at a funeral not that long ago in a, uh, one of these uh, restorationist church um, traditions, congregations, a rather big one right here in town. On the wall was like negative 10 through zero counting up. Uh, and then from zero up through 10. And at zero was a cross. And it said salvation and then sanctification. And it was obvious they were teaching on these topics. And it, the idea was that you as a sinner are somewhere on that negative uh, continuum that you find your way to zero by your will. Yes, you've sinned, but if you are not uh, inheriting Adam's guilt and the effects of the, the fall, then, like Pelagius said, you find your way to God on your own. There, then you are saved, and you then start walking into the positive territory, and you want to get as high a number as possible before you stand before God, I guess. Uh, and, of course, the, the real truth is we're at like negative 20 billion. We can't hope to walk to zero. And that at the cross, you don't go up to zero. Right? This is another important distinction. When you are born again, you're not back to the state that Adam and Eve were in. Where we're like, oh, well, they haven't sinned yet. Oh, it's like I haven't sinned yet. When you hear someone say justified means just as if I'd never sinned. That's clever, but it's not theologically accurate. It's more than that. It's not that I'm at zero and now I'm going to start moseying my way into positive territory, into the black. No, I am imputed with the righteousness of Christ, which means I'm now, in God's eyes, at like positive infinity. And when I stand before him, God looks at me and sees the righteousness of Christ. 
the whole notion of kind of making your way to the cross and from the cross by your own, it's a very American idea. And these ideas got very popular here on American soil. In fact, the Mormon church was born at about the same time here in America and it has kind of the same notion. Do what you can and God will make up the difference. Um, and, you know, Christ died for that last 10 feet or whatever. And that minimizes the work of Christ, minimizes the need for salvation. It, it glorifies man and, and our ability to please God and do what is good. And it ignores passage after passage after passage. For example, uh, when you read in Romans 4, this mishmash of, of Old Testament stuff about how there's none that seek God, no, not one, all together have become worthless. I mean, lying tongues, feet running to shed blood, all this stuff. And, and we just turn that into, oh man, we just needed to, to walk in the right direction here, find God, you know, put the quarter in the vending machine and get salvation so that we can, it's, it's a whole different understanding of what it means to be saved. It's a miracle. You were dead and now you're alive. Instead of, I was off base and now I'm moving in the right direction. Just, I mean, like, why, why would you not want the free gift? Because if, if you follow this, you're not, if you're minimizing Christ's sacrifice and you're minimizing what he's done, like, is it just because people, it's hard to believe that you could be forgiven because somebody else did what he did or is it just like people like to work for things i mean like why would you yes i think it's part of that i i i think mostly it's uh, like i said the sense of uh human fairness uh this just doesn't seem right to me um and if you're going to tell me that i'm completely unable to do this that means that i didn't play any heroic role in my own salvation that just like Lazarus didn't do anything to get raised from the dead, all he did was once he was raised from dead, here, uh, come out of there and come shuffling out until someone unbound him. That's us. The voice of Christ said, come out of the grave. We did nothing to make it happen. We stood up and we were like, uh, here I am. And then he took the grave clothes off us and gave us his royal robes. And that that doesn't sit well with a lot of people. Uh, it really doesn't. They, they want to be part of the core team. You know, they, 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 they like the idea of synergy, of we work together and got it done together. Um, I don't need no charity. So the, the, I think that, I, think that I, I can't get inside the head of someone who believes something that I, that I don't. I assume that uh, plays a role. Uh, so next week, we'll talk about federal headship versus seminal headship. That sounds really interesting, but guys, it's not as interesting as it sounds. So we'll take like two minutes to talk about that. Then we'll move on to the next question. Um, this was a lot of maybe kind of undergirding theology, but we're building uh, the scaffolding upon which we will talk about a lot more interesting stuff. Um, the takeaway is don't deny original sin or Mike Whitmer will blog you and make you look like an idiot. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, morning and the, the truth that we indeed uh, have been not only sinning ourselves, but Lord, uh, born in bondage to sin and with the guilt of our, of our father Adam already 
weighing on us. And, and Lord, we, we believe that this is just because we saw the way that the guilt of, of our sins was placed upon Christ. We don't cry foul. We don't demand a do-over because, Lord, we know if we did and you gave it to us, we'd fall right back into sin anyway. We instead just accept the gift of salvation, praise you for it, and ask that you would help us uh, and empower us to walk uh, in the right direction on the narrow road that leads to life. Uh, We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.